Welcome to the Magnify podcast. Magnify is a platform at the intersection of faith, feminism, and fashion. During these episodes, we have conversations with dynamic individuals that we hope will leave you intrigued, inspired, and informed. What does it take to be open and bold about your faith in a mainstream industry? Joining us on today's podcast is Nona Jones. Nona is an author, speaker, and head of faith-based partnerships at Facebook. She's passionate about combining faith and social technology to impact and inspire people from around the world. And she also lives in Florida with her husband and children. Let's welcome Nona. Um, so Nona, it's really great to have you here with us. Um, how have you been enjoying London so far? I love London. London's one of my favorite places uh, in the world to visit, so oh, it's always amazing. good to be back. Yeah. <laughs> if you could have dinner with any woman um, in history or present, who would that be? Just one. Well, actually, if you could have a dinner party. So oh, a dinner yeah. party. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Okay. Given that, uh, I would love to have Oprah. Uh, I would love to have Maya Angelou, Queen Cleopatra. I would mm. love to know what it's like to build <laughs> build a, a dynamic uh, country in that type of a day and age. I would say those three for sure. Those three for sure. Amazing. And what do you do to relax? I run and I read. I went for a run in Hyde Park this morning, which was awesome, except it was 32 degrees out, and that I would not recommend. <laughs> it's hard to... Relax optimally when you can't feel your fingers. It's it's a different situation. But I run and I read a book a week. So before I go to sleep at night, um, I'm always reading whatever my reading schedule is to finish the book that week. And finally, what are three things you always carry in your handbag? Three things I always have. I have my buxom lip gloss. Um, I always have my toothbrush, toothpaste, and um, floss. I'll just make that one since it's like dental hygiene. And uh, I always like to have some lotion, usually like my rose scented lotion from Bath and Body Works or somewhere like that. So Nona, what was your childhood like and how did it shape your values? So I was born to a mother who did not want to have children. Um, She was actually married to my father for 13 years before she got pregnant. And Uh, When she got pregnant, she was actually really angry because um, she felt like children were a burden. And to give you some backstory on that, she grew up in a home with 11 other brothers and sisters, very little money, a lot of mouths to feed. Her father was a garbage collector. Her mother was a housekeeper. And her father was also very physically abusive to her mother in front of all of the children. And so she always felt like her mom didn't leave because of the children. And so she made a decision pretty early on not to have children. So, of course, I basically interrupted her her plan. And halfway through her pregnancy, my father found out he was um, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer, terminal stomach cancer, to be specific. And um, he lived until about two months shy of my second birthday, uh, which was, you know, his focus because my mother she had a lot of anger in her and he was worried that I would grow up in an unstable home. And so that's why he fought so hard against his diagnosis. But after he died, my mother moved us to an entire different state. Um, No family there, didn't really know anybody there, but she was following after a guy she barely knew. He just promised to take care of her and me. And that relationship basically fell apart right after we moved there. Um, 
And when I was about five years old, she met a guy who became her live-in boyfriend. And um, shortly after he moved in, like I knew that there was something wrong with him, just just sensed in my spirit that he wasn't a good person because whenever my mother wasn't around, he would hold me like really close to his body. He wouldn't let me go. And so it was just really strange. Um, but shortly after he moved in, he began sexually abusing me. And I was about five when it started. Um, and I told my mother when I was around seven what wow. he was doing to me. And uh, she had him arrested and I was really grateful. I thought it was mm -hmm. over. But on the day of his release, she took me with her to the jail to pick him up and wow. brought him back home. And the abuse continued again um, all the way through uh, my 11th or 12th uh, birthday. And um, there was just so much just craziness happening at home that when I was nine years old, I tried to take my life. Wow. I thought that that would be the solution to all of the dysfunction and just the pain. He was sexually abusive. My mother was physically and verbally abusive. It was just a really bad situation. And then at school, I got labeled a problem child. I was told I had a learning disability. Um, no one ever asked why I was behaving that way. They just assumed something was wrong with me. And so made that decision when I was nine. It was unsuccessful. So I tried again when I was 11. Um, it was unsuccessful. And I mean, you can even see the inside of my left wrist is the scar from where I tried to slit wow. my wrist. It's like a permanent reminder. And... Um, it wasn't successful, but you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't know anything about God. I was going to say, growing up, did you have any? No, kind of didn't know anything about church. Had no sense of hope, faith, none of that. And I think that's what um, led me to attempt suicide because I thought that would be the the solution. Um, but then when I was in the sixth grade, I was eleven years old. One of my classmates invited me to church. I didn't even know what church was. And so I thought we were just going to go over her house and play or something. And uh, her mom picked me up and we went to this, you know, church thing. And I'll never forget uh, the moment I walked into the building. I just I felt so loved and welcomed. And it was a feeling I hadn't really had before because wow. my mother, she would routinely tell me she never wanted me. She would tell me I was a burden on her, that she wished I'd never been born. And so, you know, I had in my mind that I just wasn't wanted and so, you know, walking into this new community of, of strangers who immediately loved and wanted me, uh, it really became the inflection point in my life. Wow. Would you say that the first experience in your church ignited a passion for the local church? Absolutely. Um, you know, when I walked in that day, I mean, again, people who didn't even know me, they, they loved me, they hugged me, they welcomed me, they wanted me there. Uh, the very first sermon I ever heard preached, the pastor preached that day that God is a father to the fatherless. Wow. And there were so many times I would cry myself to sleep just wishing my father had lived because I thought that if he had lived, that the things that happened to me would not have happened. And so hearing that God was a father to the fatherless made me want to know, well, who is this God? And so I took the Bible home for myself that day. And I began to study the Bible for myself at 11 years old. Wow. And that's really how I began to understand uh, who God had created me to be, who God was to me. Um, and shortly thereafter, I accepted Jesus as Lord of my life. Oh, amazing. So it's interesting that at school you were labeled a problem child. And um, what would you say changed from then to being successful in your career? That's a great question. So um, I think the reason why I was labeled a problem child is because I did not know how to deal with the chaos that wow. was happening at home. Um, and really, I was living down to the expectations of what was set for me. You know, when you're told that you're a problem child, that you're no good, no matter how hard you try, it's like there's this 
lens that people look at you through and you can never be better than what they think. So it wasn't until I discovered in the word of God that I was fearfully and wonderfully made that, you know, before I was even formed in my mother's womb that I had been called, I had actually been given purpose, like God created me on purpose with purpose. It was when I understood that that I began to say, you know what? I think I think I want to live up to God's expectations. Wow. So whereas before I was living down to man's expectations, I decided I want to live up to God's. And that's what made me change um, the way I was even showing up because I realized that the way that I behaved was a reflection on him. And I wanted to honor him with my life. So I really believe that if it had not been for that experience and exposure, uh, I would not be where I am today. Wow. What was the journey from school to your first job like? So um, uh, once I finally made the decision to actually pay attention in in class and and I decided to really focus, I ended up graduating um, near the top of my class in high school. I got a full scholarship to college. I think you call it university. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got a full scholarship and um, I was planning on becoming a doctor. I was majored in microbiology and cell science and was going to go to medical school and do all these things. And then I ended up meeting my husband um, my third year of school. And uh, he told me that we were going to have to live in Gainesville, Florida, which is where my school is located, because his father was a pastor. And he felt like his assignment in life was to help his dad at the church. And in my mind, I was going to move to Atlanta or New York or some big city. I was, I mean, Gainesville is really small. So I was like, this is not going to work. But um, we ended up staying. I graduated from college. I did not uh, pursue medical school. I just started working at this like property and casualty insurance company. And uh, a year after I started working for that company, I actually got appointed to my first executive role. Oh, wow. Um, I was only 23 years old. And um, it was a whirlwind because, you know, I knew I could do the job, at least on paper. Wow, so young. At 23, what gave you the confidence that you could excel at that level? I know. Well, I read the job description and I was like, I can do that. So it was it was building the company's community investment strategy, thinking about how to support charities, thinking about how to work with diversity um, and sales. And so I was like, I can do that. So that's what gave me the confidence because I just felt like I could do it. So I applied for it. And truly, by the grace of God, I got this job. Um, And I think that was almost like trial by fire because here I was, 23, sitting at this boardroom table with executives who could have been my parents. And I finally was learning about, you know, profit and loss statements. I was learning about strategy. I was learning about how to lead teams, how to set goals, how to set performance objectives. And so there was so much information that I was learning. Um, And right after that, I got recruited to lead um, a similar strategy for a public utility company which did like electric, water, wastewater, et cetera. And while I was in that role, I got asked to take on the organization's public policy work, which meant working with like the federal government and the presidential administration on regulations that affected customers that uh, the, the utility was serving. That was something I didn't know anything about at all. And so I had to like learn on the job how to do my job. Um, but it was amazing. And then right after that, um, I got recruited to build uh, the external affairs strategy for a really large nonprofit organization, um, which was so much fun because the organization served girls who had um, been suspended or expelled from school wow. due to trauma and abuse. And so I felt really connected to the mission of that organization. Your story. Absolutely. And I thought I'd be there for the rest of my life. But uh, in April of 2017, I was four years into that role. I mean, it's, you know, chief executive level role. It was amazing. 
uh, four years into the role, I was in prayer and God told me this assignment is over. Like he said those four words very specifically. And I thought I heard incorrectly. And so I prayed again a few days later because I was like, I, I love what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, like, no, that's not the answer. And I heard again, this assignment is over. And so I was like, Lord, okay, if this assignment is over, like, what should I do next? Like, what's, what's the, and I, I meant what's the next job when yeah. I said that. And all God said is resign at the end of the fiscal year, which would have been June 30th of 2017. So I have a question about that. Yeah. Often faith can be mistakenly portrayed as having a long shopping list and having God answer all of our requests. What role did your faith play in being able to trust God in the unknown? Well, I think faith is, is often misunderstood. Like we think faith is our ability to trust that God can do something. Like I have faith that God is gonna give me that job, right? It's like, well, let's be clear, God can do anything. So faith is not believing that God can do anything. Like we know that. What faith is, is faith is God's ability to trust you to obey. And so for me, exercising my faith was really just like, all right, Lord, this is you, this is your voice, because this is not something I would have ever asked for. So I'm gonna exercise faith by obeying, even when I don't understand, especially when we don't understand, like that's faith. I mean, I think back to, the story of Abraham and Isaac, right? And, you know, Abraham waited, gosh, I don't know, 80, 90 years to have Isaac, to have the, the son that was promised to him. I mean, he he had Ishmael, right? Like he went and did his thing and had Ishmael because he wanted to force the promise. But then here comes Isaac. And then God says to him, hey, guess what? I need you to take him and sacrifice him to me. It's like, what? <laughs> Wait, I just... I just got this child and you want me to sacrifice to him? But the reason why Abraham's called the father of faith is because when God spoke something that didn't make sense, he obeyed. And so in this situation, which made no sense to me, I planned to stay at that organization for another 20 years. Faith was knowing that God spoke this and so I have to do it. And if I don't do it, then I basically will be setting myself up for the favor of God to remove itself from my life. I feel like we actually just skipped over that. How did Facebook even come across you? Yeah, so the way that came about, interestingly enough, is um, so God told me to resign from my previous job, June 30th of 2017. And uh, he told me that in April of 2017, which gave me like two, two and a half months to prepare to leave. And so I remember I was like, all right, Lord, I'm going to walk into my boss's office. I'm going to give her this letter and that's going to be that. Well, as it turns out, June 30th, we were at a leadership conference at like the most exclusive resort in Florida. It was like this gorgeous beachfront resort. And I was like, Lord, you're gonna have me resign here? <laughs> like of all places, you're gonna have me resign here. But uh, he never relented. And so I, I asked my boss to meet with me in a restaurant at the resort. And uh, we sat down at one o'clock PM. I gave her my letter of resignation and she was just like, like, what are you doing? Like, what, what is this? Like, what, where are you going? I have to be able to tell people. And I couldn't tell her. All I could say is, I'll tell you soon, because I didn't know. Um, we finished talking at 1.40, got in my car, was driving home. It was like a five-hour drive from where we were. And uh, at 2.05, 25 minutes into the, the drive, um, my cell phone rang. And it was an unfamiliar number, which I don't answer those, because I assume they're telemarketers <laughs> or wrong numbers. But the Spirit said, take that call. Wow. And so I answered very cautiously, and this woman says, hi, is this Nona Jones? And I said, yes. And she said, hey, I'm calling from Facebook. And I was like, Facebook doesn't call people. So who, 
who is this? And she was like, no, really, I'm calling from Facebook. And she proceeded to tell me that apparently the week before, uh, Mark Zuckerberg had changed the mission of the company to focus on community building. And she said that there was some research that was done, um, and they found that of all the different types of communities that exist, communities of faith were the largest, most meaningful communities to the people who were in them. And uh, she was like, you know, would you be interested in helping us think about this work? Would you be interested? And I was like, you know, sure. Now, I was thinking they were putting together a committee yeah. or an <laughs> advisory board. I was like, oh, cool. Another, you know, I'd be happy to serve. And I said, just send me some information. I'll look at it over the weekend and we could talk Monday. Well, I got home and I opened up my email and there was a link to a job description. No, and I said to my that? husband, I was like, honey, Facebook just sent me a job description. <laughs> he was like... Why would Facebook send you a job description? I had no idea. Um, But the job said it was based in Menlo Park, California at the company's headquarters. And I said, I said, well, I guess that's that because, you know, we decided early on that we weren't moving because Gainesville, Florida is where we felt we were called. And so my husband and I were like, yeah, I guess that's it. And so then um, Monday came and I said to the lady, I said, listen, um, this is an incredible opportunity. I would love to do it but I can't move. And I understand if that removes me from consideration, but we have to serve our local church. And the woman said to me, well, we have a policy where you have to live where your job is located, but we think you're the right person. So we'll make an exception and we'll figure out how to accommodate. And I was just like, okay. (laughs) So, I mean, literally 25 minutes after I resigned from my job in faith. And what's amazing is I, I get asked all the time, like, how'd that even happen? Well, Um, I did a leadership program um, with one of the executives there and I had joked with him. I said, you know, if Facebook ever starts a foundation, I want to be the president of it, but it has to be based in Gainesville, Florida because I can't move. So he was always like, that's never going to (laughs) happen. But apparently when Mark was contemplating changing the mission, uh, he actually mentioned, he was like, I think I know the right person to do this, but I don't think we can get her to leave her job because she loves what she's doing. And so he never said anything wow. to me. Like throughout the whole process, he never said anything until after it was all final. And then he told me, and I was like, the Lord had already spoken to me wow. and told me uh, to leave my job. And then didn't tell me what was coming next. He just told me what date to do it. I can imagine it entails a few things, but on a day-to-day basis, what does your job involve? So my day-to-day job is actually different every single day, but primarily my role is both externally facing and internally facing Externally, um, I work with many of the world's most influential faith leaders, whether it's pastors, denominational leaders, sometimes just kind of spiritual influencers, um, to make sure that Facebook is meeting their needs. Because at the end of the day, you know, whether it's here in the UK or other places, like physical attendance at church services is declining globally. Um, and yet usage of social technology is increasing globally. So I'm trying to help institutions and leaders understand how to use this in order to kind of counter that trend. Um, And the way that I frame it is to think about it as digital discipleship. So how do we disciple people that never walk into a building or never sit in a service, uh, but are just as in need of Jesus as the people who do? So that's my externally facing role. Internally, I work with um, many of our product teams in order to think about, you know, how do the products that we're building serve communities of faith? How do we need to um, reimagine what our products are capable of when it comes to driving in-person connections? Because that's primarily how communities of faith operate. Um, So, yeah, that's what I do. How do you think the meeting of faith and social media can be a force for good? Well, let me first say that I believe if Jesus was walking the earth right now, I believe that he would be on Facebook. 
And I say that because I believe in my heart that Jesus is after the heart of every person on earth. And I've talked to many pastors who have said, oh, we don't use Facebook because that's of the devil or something (laughs) like that. And I think to myself, I'm like, you know what? Where else can you go and have three billion people gathered together except for Facebook? Um, And so for me, the intersection of faith and technology is really about lowering the barrier to access. Like right now, there are people who will go on their phone and go on to Facebook just because they have nothing else to do, just because they're waiting at the bus stop, just because they're on the tube or whatever. So it's like, imagine if if you were able to have a presence there and connect with people who don't know Jesus, don't really want to know Jesus, but if they only knew how powerful Jesus was, they'd be interested to hear more. So I really feel like it's, again, lowering the barrier to access. People who are not going to walk into a cathedral. They're not going to walk into a building on a Sunday, um, but they're on social media 24 hours a day mm-hmm. and they're wanting to be supported. They're wanting to be affirmed. Um, and I think we have the power to do that. It's interesting in today's world. Um, and one of my questions is, have you ever found any tension between being so public about your faith and working in a mainstream company? Mm, that's such a great question. Um, not really, because I... Interestingly enough, I wasn't hired um, in spite of my faith. I was hired because of it. You know, I was, I, w- I mean, they knew. Like, I've been licensed <laughs> into ministry since I was 17. Um, even now, I mean, I'm, I'm preaching and teaching all over the world. I have my own itinerant ministry. My husband's a pastor of a local church. Um, you know, I've released my book, which is all about my faith journey from trauma to triumph. And uh, so I think that's encouraged. And I think part of the reason why it's encouraged is the way that I approach my faith is one that um, isn't hostile. Like I, I don't, I don't try to convert people. I just try to make people aware of the opportunity for peace, the opportunity for joy, the opportunity for hope in Jesus. Um, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convert people. And so uh, I've had colleagues who are atheist. I've had colleagues who are agnostic asked to meet with me just to talk about my faith Um, because especially now that my book is released I've had a lot of people be like hey can we just talk about like the book event I'm doing tomorrow at our uh, one of our London offices I was in a meeting with a colleague earlier today uh, prepping for it and she was like I really want to talk about how faith has been so integral you know to your your journey because that's just not something we talk about a lot so it's been really cool. What would you say have been some of the defining moments of your journey and the inspiration behind your book? What's really funny is I didn't plan on writing a book. Um, So I was getting ready to speak at a large conference and uh, I told a friend of mine what I was gonna talk about, which was going to be the intersection of my story, my faith and my career and leadership principles. And uh, he said to me, he said, you know, you should put that in a book and sell it at the conference because the women will want to buy it. And I was just like, really? I was like, okay. So I wrote it, uh, I wrote the first iteration of it because the one that's published now is completely different, but I wrote the first iteration specifically for that purpose, just to sell at the conference. Well, a couple of months before the conference, my publisher, who wasn't my publisher at the time, but they reached out to me and they said, hey, you know, we've we've heard your name, we've, you know, seen you around, would you happen to have a manuscript that you'd like us to review? And I was like, just so happens (laughs) that I have this random manuscript. And so um, gave that to them and, and they took it and they, they liked the message. Um, and I think the, the whole point behind my book is really about giving people a sense of hope. Like there, there have been so many people, I've just wrapped up my US uh, book tour, so many people who have um, achieved a lot of success, 
according to worldly standards and the standard definition of success, who are just unfulfilled, um, who are broken, who still feel unworthy, who still feel inadequate. And the whole point of my book, the reason why it's called Success from the Inside Out, is I've discovered in my own career journey that there's nothing you can accumulate around you that will fill a deficit within you. And so you have to look within because that's where success begins. Um, And for me, it really has been anchored to my faith in God and understanding who I am, understanding that I'm not what happened to me. A lot of times we pursue success because we're actually trying to use success as a proxy for worthiness. And I really just want to try to decouple that, you know, where you're worthy no matter what your resume says, you know, and then just because your resume says a lot doesn't mean you are an amazing person if you don't have that sense of um, um, validation in yourself. So that's what I'm hoping people get from it. Amazing. I think it's a question that a lot of women have and you do so many different things, but how do you juggle everything and also stay sane? That's a good question. You know, I... I don't know the difference. Like, it's funny because I just made the decision. As I was doing my book tour, I had a bunch of people come to me and be like, will you please mentor me? You know, I would love to be able to go deeper with these topics. And so I just decided to launch this, like, leadership academy, oh, this wow. digital leadership academy. Because you weren't doing enough. Because I wasn't doing enough, right? And, and, but but as, I was, as I did it, I had to think about, all right, what do I need to take off my plate wow. in order for me to do this well? Um, and so that's kind of how I'm managing is I'm trying to be really intentional about my time and making sure that uh, my family knows that they're first in everything I do. So my boys don't ever feel slighted. Um, I don't want to build an empire or build uh, this you know, persona of myself and have my children not know who I am or not have a strong marriage with my husband. Um, so that's where I want to succeed more than anything. But that's how I, I guess I balance everything is I'm just, I'm always thinking about what do I need to take off my plate that is not serving the purpose God has given me. How has your childhood experience shaped how you parent now? Wow. You know, I'm really intentional about being there and being supportive for my boys. And I travel a lot, uh, but my boys will tell you, they know that I love them. Like they know that. Whereas I I spent so much of my life, even into adulthood, just not knowing if my mom loved me, you know? I mean, even now, I don't know. It's And and that that can be really disconcerting when the person who brought you into this world doesn't affirm the fact that you are wanted. And so I really try to be mindful of that and make sure that my boys know at all times that if there's ever a need for me to choose between something I want to do and something they want to do, I'm always going to choose them. Wow. Is there anything that you tell your younger self? Mm. Everything works out in the end. It really does. A lot of our audience may be unfamiliar with faith. So what would you tell someone on a spiritual journey or searching? Well, I, I want to make this a little practical. And I'll pull from, um, you know, even though I didn't become a, a doctor, I've always loved science and math. Um, when you think about it, for anyone who's even doubting God, you know, the, there is no law of physics that says that order descends from chaos. So I say that because a lot of times we look around us and we see this incredible world that is so synchronized and we see beauty and we see, you know, oh my gosh, there's oxygen in the atmosphere. That's exactly what we need to breathe. And then we exhale carbon dioxide. That's exactly what trees need for photosynthesis. Like that stuff doesn't just happen. You know, there, there was there was a God who created all of this with intention and design. 
Um, and I think it's important to know that because when I think about how it translates to us is we were created with intention and design, you know? And I think a lot of times we end up questioning God because of the pain that happens in our life, because of trauma that happens in our life. Um, but the truth is, you know, trauma does not invalidate God as faithful. It does not invalidate God as loving. Um, I do know that there are things that happen that hurt. And because they hurt us, we choose to say, well, I'm just going to not believe in God. It's like, well, the truth is the only hope that we have is in God. That's it. You know, uh, if the truth was that we died and we just went into a black hole and that was it, um, there would be no purpose for all of this beauty and this intentionality around us. And so I think as you struggle and grapple with, with faith, you have to remember that, number one, God created and designed this world so that we would experience his love. We would experience the beauty that he has for us. And to take that a step further, I mean, Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice for all of us. And a lot of times we don't like to think of ourselves as sinners. You know, we like to think of ourselves as, I'm a pretty good person, you know? But the truth is, no matter how good of a person we may think we are, God is perfect. There is no error in him. And so because he loved us so much, the reason why Jesus had to come is because he had to actually create that bridge or rebuild that bridge between God and man. Um, and it's just important to know that. Like God, God loves you. He created this entire world with you in mind. And then he sent Jesus, his one and only son, John 3.16. I just was uh, preaching on this a couple weeks ago. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and if you think about that, that means there weren't a bunch of like sons just all around, right, to give. He gave his only son for all of us with, with, with no guarantee that we would choose him, but just the hope that we would. Amazing. So to me, that's love. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from this, go ahead and share this with them. Also, don't forget to rate and review. It really helps us out. See you next time.